We're um, in uh, week four of the Psalms of Ascent. Literally, it was when the people of Israel would ascend to worship God three times a year, three main festivals they would have every year. They would leave their homes wherever they lived throughout Palestine, and they would make their way. Zion was the highest point in the land. So symbolically, it's us going to God. It's, it's the kind of things that we need to think about when we want to prepare our hearts for a meeting with God. And t- today we're going to go to Psalms chapter 124, verse 8, where he says, If the Lord had been on our side when men attacked us, when their anger flared against us, they would have swallowed us alive. The flood would have engulfed us, the torrent would have swept over us, the raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, um, I'm going to talk to you today about leaning into our lack. Leaning into our lack. The vulnerable place that they were in, that King David actually wrote this psalm. He wrote five of them, and this is one that he wrote. And so when he wrote about his enemies and adversaries, and those that he had been saved from in the nick of time by the power of God, those that were beyond, that he lacked the ability. He talked about being, this text talks about being caught in a snare, like a little bird. So he's talking about a moment in life that's, he's very overwhelmed by that moment in life. Now, he was talking about people with spears and bows and arrows and swords and horses and chariots. Those are the kind of people, that's the stuff he was talking about. Uh, you wouldn't relate to that, hopefully. Um, I'm hoping you wouldn't relate to that. There's probably somebody that does. If It's pretty rough at your house if you're uh, dealing with swords and spears. You know, maybe a dish once in a while sailing your way, but it's... So if you're swords and spears, come and talk to me. We want to get you some serious help. <laughs> but uh, no, you're not. The, 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 the adversaries that come against your life, are, they're, they're mental, they're emotional. They may be physical. But they're, they're the, the things you struggle with, the things that, that will tra- entrap you and snare you and take away your life, maybe not physically, but maybe spiritually, maybe emotionally, take away your life. And so David gives us a formula here. There's a, there are places and there are times to stand up and fight. But he's saying there were some times in my life when if, it, if God had not been on my side, if God had not been looking out for me, I would not have survived. Five years ago, Sheryl Sandberg, the CEO of Facebook, wrote a book called Lean In. And she was talking about leaning in, uh, uh, as a woman, leaning into uh, uh, power and authority in the powerful domains of corporate domains that are dominated by males. Today, I want to talk to you about leaning into something else. Not power, but weakness. Leaning into our lack. As Hebrews made that trek, they weren't meditating only on their potential, or I would say not at all. They weren't meditating on their potential as human beings. They were meditating on their lack of potential. 
They weren't meditating on their power. They were meditating on their powerlessness. Uh, they, weren't they weren't meditating on their performance. They were meditating on their lack of performance. They were leaning in to their lack. They were leaning in to their weakness. Now, I'm not suggesting we never communicate our competence. I'm not suggesting we never communicate our strength. But implied in the opening text is we better know our limitations. We better know when we've come up against something that is, that is beyond us, that is bigger than us. Muhammad Ali got on a plane one time, and the stewardess came by and said, buckle your seatbelt. He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. She said, yeah, Superman don't need no airplane. <laughs> you better know when you need an airplane. <laughs> Yohan Hari, I read a book a while back, and I'm going to be drawing some resources from that book when we do a series in February called Lost Connections. And he's talking about, in the book, about how many, many people who are on antidepressants and all these studies show that when they get well connected with friends and community and family they, they go off of antidepressants because there's healing power of connection and part of the healing power of connection is it's a place when you have good healthy connections it's a place where you can communicate your lack you can communicate your pain and he tells a very, very interesting story about being in Vietnam, doing research for a book he wrote. And he, was, uh, he had eaten an apple at a roadside stand. Not smart when you're in a foreign country. Because they treat them with heavily with pesticides and even washing them. You, they, you can't get the pesticides off of them. And, um, and, and the, the locals are used to it. Their systems can handle it. And he got very, he's, he's interviewing this woman. All of a sudden, everything starts coming out of his body. You know, just sick as a dog. And uh, he was thinking, you know, I'll be okay, I'll be fine. And this little lady in this little hut was insistent that they, they bring in a doctor. So she goes, finds some local doctor in the village, and he comes in. And he's yelling for drugs. Give me some medicine to stop these symptoms and stop this pain. And the room is spinning around, and... The doctor told him these words, and, I, and, and I'll always remember them. You need your nausea. It is a message, and we must listen to the message. It will tell us what is wrong with you. That is, that's what I want to say to you this morning. Some of you need to listen to your pain. You need to get quiet and lean into the pain, lean into the discomfort, Live through it and let God be God. Shall we just say the benediction? <laughs> Why is meditating on your limitations so important? Why is approaching God uh, in worship as well as living to be his representative require us? Why does it require us to not only know our limitations and accept them, but to elevate them in our relationship with God? To elevate to God that which we don't know what to do. The Apostle Paul would say it like this in 1 Corinthians 1.27, I was given the gift of a handicap, 
This is the Message Bible. I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Isn't that powerful? When I don't know my limitations, I will not know how to think, relate, or pray regarding the challenges of my life. You know, we've all been there. What what, what do you want to hear from an addict in your life that you love? I think everybody here has an addict that they love, right? I think we're all blessed with an addict that we love, right? What do you want to hear from an addict that you love? I I got this. Leave me alone. I'll I'll be fine. I can quit anytime. Or do you want to hear, help, I'm desperate. I'll go to that program. I'll do what you tell me to do. Which do you want to hear? What do you want to hear from, what does a spiritual leader want to hear from a parent with a long-term rebellious child? What does that spiritual leader want to hear? Do they want to hear, oh, we're, we're doing okay, they'll come around. Do you want to hear that when you're a spiritual leader of, of someone with a long-term rebellious child? No, you want to hear, we're at our wit's end. We don't know what to do. Will you come over and pray with us? That's what you want to hear. Because you know they're going to open themselves up to the supernatural power of God when they lean in to their lack. You know that's the way it works. What does a financial advisor want to hear from someone who's struggling to manage their finances Oh, don't worry. We've prayed it about it, and we put everything in God's hands. Do you want to hear that? Or do you want to hear, you know, we're so undisciplined with our finances. Would you, would you get together with us and share your wisdom? Because you seem to have some ability, or you've got a degree in it, or you've, that's what you do for a living. Which do you want to hear? Where is their help? What about the person who has a broken or distant relationship with God? What do you want to hear? Do you want to hear, well, I'm doing the best I can? Or do you want to hear, you know, I have no idea how to read the Bible. I don't know where to start. Would you help me? Which one of those responses and all those illustrations I just gave you, which, one, which ones are the ones that are likely to result in positive change? Which ones are the ones that are likely, likely to result in a miraculous transformation of a situation? And which ones do you, every one of you sitting here, you know, those people don't have a clue and there's no hope and things will never change? You know the answer, but it's the ones who lean in to their lack. So today, I believe the best counsel I could give you from this text, and it's all over the Bible, by the way, is lean into your inadequacy. And glory in your weaknesses. See, well, now this is this is this is worth coming to church for. What I'm about to say. What Israel knew they couldn't handle. What Israel knew they couldn't handle is where they experienced the power of God. That should have gotten a little more excitement than that. What Israel knew they couldn't handle. It's all over the Bible, by the way. Uh, 2 Chronicles 20.12. We have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. This is a guy named Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Guess how that situation ended? Victory for the people of God. And 2 Corinthians 12.9 
The great apostle said, my grace is sufficient for you. My, my power, I mean, God said it to him. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. How was the effectiveness of his life? How did his life turn out? John 3.30, John the Baptist said, He must increase, I must decrease. Our text says, We have escaped like a bird out of a fellow's snare. So, how do we show God? For the rest of the message this morning, I want to take you through four steps or four actions on your part. How do you show God that you're leaning into your lack? Well, number one, admit your inadequacies. We have escaped like a bird out of the fowler's snare. Like a snare has been broken, we have escaped. How do, how do you do that? How do you, how, do you, how do you find out about your inadequacies? And, and first of all, assume there is both what I'm incapable of. Is, there, is everybody here this morning have an awareness that there's something that you're incapable of doing? Everybody have that? Okay, good. Assume there's both what I'm incapable of and also assume I am capable of hurting others. I am capable of letting, letting stuff into my life, into my family, into my church... That's not only going to hurt me, but it's going to hurt the people around me. See, the Hebrews rightly assumed that the pathway to a successful life was not getting God to order up a safe world. See, notice that. This, this psalm wouldn't even, wouldn't even exist if God had ordered up a safe world. If he had created a safe space for them in Israel that, no, that no, nothing ever threatened and nothing ever came after them. If David had lived a safe life, then we wouldn't even have this psalm. I, I hate to inform you, but God doesn't have safe spaces. God doesn't order up a life of safety. Living life as God's people is one of the most hazardous things you can do. It's hazardous to live for God. It's hazardous to do it this way. So these Hebrews assume that God was not going to order for them a safe world. But for them to relate to God humbly enough, that's what they focused on. They focused on relating to God humbly enough that he would be on their side. He said, if, if the Lord was not on our side. I thought about that a lot. I thought, you know, it didn't say we were on God's side. It, it didn't say we were on God's side. It, it says... God was on our side. If God had not, it didn't say, if we hadn't been on God's side, we would, have been, we would have been messed up. No, it says, if God had not been on our side. Isn't that a pretty cool idea, that God could be on your side? I mean, when I get in a, a, a jam and I don't have the answers, I want some people to be on my side. You know, when, when, when I'm having an argument with somebody and I... I can't think of the next thing to say. I hope somebody in the room will speak up and be on my side. That usually doesn't work out well for when they do that, but I still like it. <laughs> right? Well, how about having God on your side? Well, 
if you want God on your side, you've got to know what God's attracted to. God's not attracted to everything. God's attracted. God loves everybody. But there are things that God is attracted. God is attracted to humility, but he's repelled by pride. So what we have, by David making that statement, and by Israel seeing that statement, they are saying, God, we're going we're gonna to live humbly. We're going to live humbly. There's that verse in Revelation 3.16 to a church in Asia where Christ says that, that terrible verse where he says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, have any of you uh, eaten anything lately that you spit out? Was it because it tasted good? This is, too, this is too good for me. I'm spitting it out. I don't deserve. I don't deserve these flavors. I, I just don't deserve it. I'm spitting them out. No, you spit it out of your mouth because it was nauseating. If, if you, you felt if it goes down, it, it will ruin my day. I must not let this go down and be assimilated into my pristine body. I must not do that. Now, what did he say that in response to? What turned Jesus Christ off? Well, you say, well, they must have committed some incredibly horrible sin. I mean, surely it was sexual. I'm sure. To make God that sick, I'm sure it was of a sexual variety of sin. It's an awful, it's the worst thing, right? Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe it was even a homicide. Maybe there were homicides. And, and, and this has happened. I, I was, back in my community, you may remember, it made national news when two, one member of a choir in our, my hometown of McKinney, Texas, waited, waited in the garage with an axe for another member of the choir to come over, and, and she killed her with the axe. So maybe it was something like that going on at Laodicea. Maybe somebody was, was committing an axe murder, and God said, I'm sick of it. I'm sick because you're not dealing with this. No, you know what made him sick? It's verse 15 says, you say I'm rich and do not need a thing. Whoa, that should rock you back in your heels a little bit this morning. It did me when I read it. What turns Jesus off is when I say I don't need anything. And what really attracts him to me is when I say, God, I need you. God, I'm not going to make it without you. That's what really attracts him. See, but you can't lean in if you don't learn, see? And uh, you say, well, how will I find out? Because some of us don't have a lot of self-awareness. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that some of us do not have a lot of self It's just not our gift, right? But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to let you know something that you probably hadn't thought of. Uh, that if you don't have good self-awareness and you don't know where you lack, there's a ton of people, there's just a whole group of people in your life that want to tell you. And you're married to one of them, if you're married. They would love to answer that question. What do I lack? Where am I weak? Where do I fail? They would love to answer that question. In fact, they're rehearsing behind your back. <laughs> oh, oh it's, it's, it, it's, it's an untapped secret in how to grow is actually asking the people in your life, where am I wrong? Or where do I lack? Now you say, well, I don't know about that. Well, let me, let me do a little exercise with you. 
We'll call it the fill-in-the-blank exercise. You fill in the blank, uh, and, and you're going to put the, don't, don't speak out, whatever you do. <laughs> don't speak out and look straight ahead. <laughs> do not look around. Uh, blank is a jerk. Did a name come to your mind? Now don't look around. Blank is selfish. Blank is stubborn. Blank is inflexible. Blank is lazy. Can you help me out with any more adjectives? Pat, you got any? Blank is stingy. Blank is rude. Okay, now, how many of you could, could fill in the blank pretty good? A few honest people here. Blank is a liar. There's another one. <laughs> well, here's the, here's, here's the good news that you, you were able to fill in the blank. The bad news is you're in somebody else's blank. Gossip would go down 50% overnight if we made it more comfortable for people to tell us the truth. I said gossip would go down 50% at least in our family and in our church and in our companies if we would make it comfortable, if we would not punish people for telling us what they believe is the truth. Even if it's not the truth, people sometimes tell us things about ourselves that aren't true. But you will do well to make it comfortable for people to tell you the truth. Self-awareness is really important to know where you lack. Speaking of exposing vulnerabilities, what's more vulnerable and lacking in discernment than a bird? That's the imagery that we're given in the psalm. We've escaped like a bird out of the fowler's nest, out of the fowler's snare. The snare has been broken, we've escaped. Now, now, he is presenting as vulnerable a situation as you could possibly imagine. First of all, birds aren't real intelligent. Ever hear the phrase bird brain? Well, they didn't get that because birds are geniuses. Birds are not geniuses. I mean, I, I've never had anybody invite me over to the house and say, let me show you all the tricks my bird can do. Now, I know somebody, there's always an exception. There's somebody out there, you had a bird that would make your coffee in the morning. I know there's somebody out there. <laughs> but typically, birds are pretty, they're cute, they're, they're beautiful, and, 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 and they color our lives, but they're not very, they just don't, you know, instinctually, they do all these incredible things instinctually. But I'm talking about the ability to think. No. But here's such an important point, I think. It's not how God necessarily saw them. Because that's not always the most important thing. It's how they were willing to see themselves in comparison to God. I said it's how they were willing to see themselves. They were willing to see themselves as being in so vastly inferior to God. And so needy before God that they were like a little bird that didn't have enough sense not to follow a trail of seeds into a trap. Admit your vulnerability. Number two, 
Appreciate that your life matters to God. If God hadn't been for us, when everyone went against us, we would have been swallowed alive by their violent anger, swept away by the flood of rage, drowned in the torrent, that we would have lost our lives in the wild raging water. Oh, blessed be God, he didn't go off and leave us. He didn't abandon us, defenseless, helpless as a rabbit in a pack of snarling dogs. I get the impression from some that only eternity matters. And it does matter, by the way. But I get the impression sometimes in the church that we think only eternity matters. Only if we can get people to accept Jesus as their personal Savior, then when they die, they'll go to heaven. But what this text instructs us all is that your life matters. Your earthly life matters. The Hebrews who walked the hill to Mount Zion weren't, weren't celebrating their eternal life. They were celebrating their earthly life because the one thing that God had taught them was that their, everything in their life mattered. That's what really, now when you read the Old Testament, sometimes it's hard to get through looks like Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Because, you know why it's hard to get through them? Because there's so much detail. It's so much detail. God had, God had, God had instructions on everything. He, he told them how to wash their hands. He told them how to clean their house. He, he told them how to, how, how to take care of their livestock. He you know why? And I want you to, next time you read those, th- those passages and you start to go cross-eyed from reading all those details, remember this, that's how much the details of your life matter to God. That's how much. So God marshaled all of his power and all of his resources, not just to save their eternal life, but God marshaled all the resources of heaven to save their temporal life. Their life on earth. I want you, when you walk out of here today, think, my life matters. What I'm doing with my life, what I'm doing with myself, the things that I'm pursuing, the things that I care about matter. They're important. My relationships matter. Everything matters. I really have significance, so much significance that God will release the armies of heaven to keep me alive until he has fulfilled the purpose of my life. You know, you are indestructible till God's done with you. I said, you are indestructible until God is finished with your life on this earth. And when he's finished with you, why would you want to stick around here? I can't imagine why. Number three, accept that there will be opposition and adversity. Our text is filled with images of floods and hunters. Will they be consumed? Pray. And traps set to rob us of our freedom and turn us into food to be consumed. There's no suggestion of prayer to be delivered from this situation. You know, a lot of times when we're we're going to God, we're saying, God, can't you change the way the world runs? Can't you change the predatory nature of the world? Can't you change the difficult nature of the world? That's how I pray a lot of times. But... You know what gets me in better shape with God is if I say, God, and I think this way, and I say, God, I accept that the world is full of suffering, but I believe that you're bigger than my problems. I accept that the world is full of pain, but I believe you're bigger than my pain, and you you will find purpose in my pain. I accept that people are sometimes unfair and disloyal and difficult, but I 
accept and recognize that you are bigger than my problems. We created a world full of pain. Humans did that. We, we disobeyed God and created a world with pain. God did not immediately step in and remove the pain like we all wish he would. But what he did step in, he stepped in and inserted his grace. And he filled the world with grace. Amen? Amen? David focused on the attitude of God toward his people. He was on their side. David focused on gratitude toward God, toward God for those just-in-time deliverances. He didn't say, as I often do, God, why did I have to go through that? Why am I having to go through this? Whatever I'm going through right now. Why am I having to go through this? He didn't focus on that. He focused on the ending. He focused on the It's, it's kind of like an athletic contest. It's kind of like an athletic contest. And you, you, watch, you watch men and women in a fierce athletic battle whether it's football or tennis or, or, or fighting or whatever athletic battle it is. Check in in the early part of the contest, they're pretty fresh. Check in in the middle, they're starting to get really tired and beat up. And there's, there's, sometimes there's a little blood flowing and sometimes there's a bruise, there are bruises and sometimes there's a limp. And sometimes uh, somebody's being carted off. But what matters is whether they win or lose. And in your life, it really is not so important whether or not you suffer. It's really not so important whether or not you have difficulties. The only thing that really matters is do you win in the end? The only thing that really matters is do you overcome Blessed are those who overcome by the word of the Lamb and the, blood, or the word of God and the little blood of their testimony. Blessed are those who overcome. Why would he use words like overcome if there's nothing to overcome? When, 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 when he uses words like overcome throughout the Bible, a little deductive reasoning says there's going to be some hurdles, there's going to be some mountains. There's going to be some difficulties, or why would he use that word? It's like, it's like, it's like myself in, in, in all my medical journey, which I won't bore you with. I've, I've said enough about that, but um, I, 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 I get nervous when they order tests. Why, why are you doing that? Why do you want to look at that part of it? Why do you want to scan this? Why do you want to scan that? What do you, blah, that means there must be something there, you know? I know there's a possibility. And, and so when the Bible says, uh, fight the good fight of faith, he must mean this is not a walk in the park. He must mean that there's going to be difficulties. When he, when, he says, when he says to us, blessed are those who endure. Well, I don't know about you, but I've never used the word endure with anything I enjoyed. <laughs> I, you know, just a, like a, a beautiful steak, you know, a beautiful ribeye, you know, uh, with, with a steaming broccoli and mashed potatoes. I don't endure that. I enjoy that. A beautiful sunset, sitting on the beach in Mexico. I don't endure that. Cancer. Relational conflict. 
abandonment by people you thought were your friends. Financial hardship. Not you thought this amount of money was coming in, but that amount of money comes in. You get the bill and it's, you thought it was going to be $500, it's $3,000. If there never was a trial, there'd never be a victory. If there never was a, a contest, there would never be a win. David was saying, and the people of Israel, as they went up to Mount Zion, thank you, Lord, for the battle. Thank you for the contest. Praise God, number four, for his victories. Our memories have a way of stealing the glory from God, don't they? We, we remember, and it's funny, you've got to be really careful post-conflict. Post, we remember ourselves much more bold and courageous than we really were. We, we, we revise history. We, we, we tell it like, oh, we knew all along it was going to be fine. But the truth is we were trembling and we didn't know. But some of us are afraid to admit that. You know, I remember one time out in the Ohio district, uh, the Assemblies of God that we're a part of is divided up into districts. And the Ohio district, one year, they wanted to test young ministerial candidates to see if they could get them to say the words, I don't know. And, and they said one guy, it took three hours of questions. And, and the question he finally said, I don't know, is and they said, why did God allow the Vietnam War? And he said, finally, I don't know. And they said, you just passed the test. We want preachers who are able to say, I don't know. I read a book uh, a while back called The Ignorant Maestro. And uh, it's written by a, a famous, pretty famous conductor named Ite Talgum. And he chronicles the different great directors in the world, symphony directors, and what he said about the great ones, he said they all recognize and lift up the gaps. What's missing in the piece? They lift up the gaps. They lift up what's not right. They lift up where they, they were able to say, I don't know. There's something wrong here. I don't know. Let's figure it out. That's what great leaders do. Great leaders don't always walk in and say, here's the problem. Great leaders walk in and say, hey, we got a problem. Great leaders of great families. You do this with your family. Family, we got a problem. We got to go seek God. We got, we got to go look for the counsel of other, other Christians. We got to look for the counsel of the leadership of the church. We got a problem. Lean into your lack. We had, uh, oh, let me read this verse to you as I wrap up this morning. 2 Corinthians 1.8 from the message. This is Paul. I, lo I, I love this, man. I just, I, I had so much fun studying uh, this week on this because I, I said, boy, this is a sermon series. This is a whole series because there's so much in the Bible about people admitting their lack. And I, and I thought, you know, 
It's funny when you put on a different pair of glasses to read the Bible with. You put on a different pair of lens and you see things like I'd always seen the great affirmations of faith. And I saw that faith is also about admitting you don't know what to do. Admitting you don't even know. Listen to what Paul said. We don't, we don't want you in the dark, friends, about how hard it was when all this came down on us in Asia province. It was so bad, we didn't think we were going to make it. So much for you, conf- you possess what you confess. So much for that doctrine. Paul said, Lord, I don't think we're going to make it this time. He leaned into his lack. We had a tragic event, you know, in, uh, last year when an infant passed in our daycare. Man, that was one of the toughest weeks of our lives. I know it was for me, and I was for Sherry. Sherry was such a soldier, man. She was incredible. And uh, you ever, I don't know if you've ever been around Sherry, but boy, she's the person you want to be with in a crisis. She's a soldier, man. She just, she worked so hard that week, and she didn't sleep much because we were, because as some of you know, what happened is the news media showed up. I mean, we had the tragedy, and I, you know, we, we, for the first time I ever had a baby dedication in an emergency room with a baby that was deceased. And so that's, that was difficult enough. But then I, I wasn't expecting, and see, that's the thing about these traps, these, these snares, and when you feel like a little bird, <laughs> is you weren't expecting it. it. It's not on your calendar. I don't care if you, you even have a Google calendar. It's not on your Google calendar. Friday, I'm going to have a crisis. Friday, I'm going to get some really bad news. No, 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 you don't know. These things are coming. And, that, it, and, and so we, the news media, showed up, and they camped out in front of our church for a week. And... and if Donald Trump hadn't started bombing Syria, they'd probably stay there another week. And uh, I, I don't want to bash the news media, and, and uh, I'll, but some of them really got it wrong, though. Some of them uh, said things that were not true, and we, it, it began to be reported that we uh, had unlicensed daycare, and you know, one news media outlet even reported and left it up for a couple days that foul play was suspected. And Man, and... and I, I know, I've never dealt with the media. I didn't know what to do. You know what I did? Nothing regarding the media. I made a decision, and I had people around me advising me, of course. And I w- so I would say we made the decision. We would say nothing to the media. We would get quiet. And you know, I remember that week I was thinking, we've worked so hard in this community to have a reputation. As, the, as you know, we, we have this phrase, being bigger on Monday than on Sunday, and that means we want to be out there doing good works. And for those of you my visitors today, we have two thrift stores, and through the thrift stores, they're called Blessing Barn, and one in Milford, one in Minden, and we, we, yes, we sell things, but that's not the point. All the money goes to support our programs, our, our, our kids with special needs program, that we give free uh, uh, respite care, for families with kids with special needs, for the kids themselves, and we, we give people food, and we give people furniture, and we give people clothing, and, and, and we've been doing this for, we've been doing this for a dozen years. 
and worked so hard to have a reputation. My, my, my friend Dennis Burrell, some of you, he used to be your pastor, said to me a long time ago, he said, we've got to change the conversation in the community about the church. And that became a burning passion within me, change the conversation in the community. And I, I was so excited that, that I thought, well, we've done a pretty good job of that. But I really didn't know. And when all that happened, I thought, this, this could be the end of our reputation in the community. But you know what happened? Without saying a word, community leaders, before anything was settled, and they finally got settled, and I won't go into that, that's a longer story. Before that even got settled, and before anybody knew, community leaders began to stand up for us and say, those people do things the right way. One, one guy called me and told me, he said, I, I'm not worried about this because I know you people did it the right way. And some were even quoted like in the Boston Herald, uh, selectman and uh, head of the board of selectmen in Menden wrote me a letter, wrote me an email encouraging me during the middle of the week before anything was finally settled. The Bible says the battle is the Lord's. Where in your life right now do you need? You can't turn every battle over to the Lord. That lawn that's a foot high at your house, don't give that to God. He doesn't want it. That neighbor that you're supposed to be witnessing and sharing your faith with, don't ask the Holy Spirit to go next door. You go. Your spouse that needs your love and your affection, don't ask the Holy Spirit to love her for you. Not going to do it. You know, you got to take care of yourself. But there's, there's a battle in your life for some of you today that's bigger than you. I want you to admit it. I want you to lean into your weakness and lean into your lack. And I want you to say to God, I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. That's what I want you to do today. Our prayer partners are coming. You know who did this perfectly? You know who did this perfectly? The world was saved. Listen to this. The world was saved by the Son of Man leaning into his lack. Jesus Christ leaned into helplessness in order to be the sacrifice that would save us from our sins. Now, he wasn't helpless. So how did he do it? He had to borrow your helplessness. He had to take your weakness and borrow it because he didn't have any. But it was so important to win the battle for the world. It was so important to win the battle of salvation to the world with weakness rather than strength. The only way it could be done is Jesus had to come to earth and say, All of you weak people out there, all of you pathetic creatures... I'm going to take your patheticness, if there's such a word. I'm going to take your weakness. I'm going to take your lack. I'm going to put it on myself. And I'm going to go to the cross. And I'm going to go fight the devil. Not through armies and tanks and guns. But I'm going to go fight the devil through weakness. And through weakness, I'm going to gain access to the underworld, the dark world, the dark forces. Through weakness, I'm going to gain access to the dark forces and I'm going to destroy them in, 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 in the name of the Father. And the Bible says that Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges righteously.
Jesus surrendered to the weakness of the cross and to the weakness that's in you so you could flow in his strength.